And welcome back to another episode of the Complete Tech Heads podcast with me, Tom Edwards. Thanks for joining me again. I quickly want to just shout out some of the wonderful commenters that I've had, particularly on X, uh, who have said that they're listening to every episode um, and that they're really enjoying the content. Lots of great feedback on my last episode with with Lyle AI, um, who I thought was was really awesome um, and is a lovely man. Um, and just want to kind of take a moment to shout out the the community around AI that seems to be growing. Um, there seems to be lots of positive vibes going on, which is giving me great calls for optimism um, as we navigate this wild world that we find ourselves in that I'm trying to kind of decipher with, with this show. So thanks. Uh, this week, I am speaking with another very interesting person, um, a man called Thomas H. Chapin IV, who I found through this uh you know this digital community who is very interested in using technology to expand the human lifespan and more importantly the human health span so we touch on lots of different things here we talk about the challenges of the of, of extending human life how long it's supposed to go on for and and what the what the answer might be to making that time span longer we talk about maintaining a, a healthy lifestyle we talk a bit about intermittent fasting we talk about brian johnson the the world's most measured man who uh, is a, a tech entrepreneur who has turned his talents to trying to extend his own lifespan. You may have seen him in the news. Very interesting guy. Um, so I thought it was a great conversation. Thomas is a very, very nice man. He's clearly got a lot of different experience in the technology world. Um, he says himself he is, um, you know, he, he comes at it from a tech standpoint. He's a developer. Um, he's not a doctor. So Please don't take any of this as medical advice. Obviously, speak to your physician or your GP if you're a, a Brit like me before making any uh, any changes to your um, lifestyle. Certainly don't do not do anything on the basis of anything I've said, but hopefully you'll find it very interesting. I certainly did, and it certainly made me think twice about some of the lifestyle choices that um, that I make or that I might want to make in future in order to enable me to reach escape velocity in terms of my own lifespan and if you want to know what I mean by that you'll have to listen on because we cover it in great depth on the show so without further ado here is a what I hope will be very interesting conversation with Thomas H Chapin the fourth hello friends today I am here with Thomas H Chapin the fourth for a what I hope will be a super interesting conversation about AI in health longevity aging and how we can cheat death uh, with the help of machine learning. Um, so, Thomas, wonderful to have you on. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. This is uh, this is the first podcast I've ever been on. So, okay, amazing. Well, um, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll go easy on you. Um, so, look, I would love to. Uh, so, I know you're you're very interested in the in the health span age. Uh, you know, age-defying um, implications of AI, but I would love to get a bit of a background into you, first of all. Um, so, like, what's your um, experience? What kind of angle are you coming at this from um, in your background? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I don't, I don't want to go 
tell you my whole life story, but the, the rough summary, um, I, I come from a uh, large family, homeschooled. I, uh, my mom had a degree in elementary education. My dad had a degree in computer science, but then he became a preacher. So like I have this super religious homeschooled background from the Bible Belt. But I first started getting into computers when I was around 10 years old. And I ran my own bulletin board system. I, I started like my own little security hacker group with like a thousand members. And I uh, was like a white hat hacker when I was like 11 to 13. And you know, I experimented with trainers and all this. And so um, I was really into like a lifestyle of learning. I, I really liked just learning and hacking on things and uh, teaching myself as I went. And I got into web development when I was around uh, 13. I actually got hired at a web development company. Um, at and 13? At 13. Wow, that's good and, guy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that was a lot. I'm 40 now. I just turned 40. <laughs> so, um, yeah, then I, I, I basically got hired on full-time when I was 16 and spent like 20 years uh, the last 25 years, really, uh, working with web development, and uh, you know, it's been a, a, just kind of a long career in that regard. And I, you know, I've worked with all sorts of technologies, but most of my most of the technologies and things I worked with were web-based. You know, um, building web apps, things like that. Uh, everything from PHP to uh, Ruby on Rails and whatnot. Um, okay, but recently in the last five years or so, actually really last 10 years, I, I saw kind of things moving toward AI. And so I went and got a job so at a place where I could learn Python because I saw Python was being instrumental. Uh, seemed like that seemed to be where things were going. So I went and mm -hmm. I like to learn on the job. So I got a job learning Python. And um, yeah, so I dabbled with AI, learned a bit about it in the education space, and I guess uh, over time, I'm trying to think, well, you know, I didn't really see the conversation. I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't see conversational AI coming. It kind of caught me off guard, you know, mm -hmm. about a year ago. Um, LLMs and whatnot really surprised me. <laughs> it actually kind of put me through a little bit of a existential crisis. When I first saw computer programming being done by AI, and I knowing yeah. that I had just spent the last, you know, my whole life, basically, trying to become a computer programmer, and then <laughs> being an LLM program, it was just like, okay, now what? Yeah. So I uh, actually took a year off because I've been working since I was 13. I'd literally never taken a break. Um, and during this last year, I've been trying to answer the question of what, what happens next? What should I be focusing on in life? And it came, I guess my conclusion is um, health, longevity, you know, aging, all of these things that are most likely going to cause our the deaths of me, you, and our loved ones. Uh, if if all of our jobs are going to be taken over by AI eventually, what should we all be working on? You know, skate to where the puck is going. You know, 
And yeah. so that's kind of become my passion over the last year. And I've just been immersing myself in it. I've been following uh, the news uh, just nonstop about AI. And um, I started a community on, on Twitter, now X, called the Healthspan Longevity and AI community. And, you know, we've got a number of people in there, you know, CEOs and whatnot of biotech companies and a lot of other AI enthusiasts and, and longevity enthusiasts. But I'm not an expert. I'll tell you, I'll be the first one to tell you, I'm not an expert on the health, uh, health side of things. I'm a computer programmer. And yeah. I'm not even like a high-end computer programmer. I'm like a web developer, you know? <laughs> uh, but, but I have always prodded myself on the ability to, to learn and dynamically duct tape things together, kind of like, so... I'm like, well, what would happen if I took this kind of mindset that I have with, with hacking and learning and, and whatnot, and I applied it to solving the problem of cancer or aging and death? You know, what if, what is it that I can do to help? So that's uh, the really long-winded. Yeah. Thing. So so you're, you've built this community um, of people who are similarly drawn to, I guess it's solving aging, right? Is that the is that the the goal here? So yes and no. Um, really, I'm mostly just I just want to stay alive. I just I don't like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I don't know why I'm laughing, but it's almost kind of. Um, like don't we all you know? yeah. same same i don't want to die either yeah. uh, it's like the most fundamental certainty that i i think I, I think the reason i'm laughing is because it's almost like ai is now like making making us question even the most fundamental certainties that we have you know even death is in question now like you know it'll 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 never be able to reason, you know. I'll never be able to tell a joke. It'll never be able to, you know, uh, understand nuance. And never be able to draw them down. Picture. Never be able to right? Play. Yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> it's like, well, it's, it's you know, there's still got the There's still this this one certainty that we're all going to die. And hey, guess what? Maybe not. <laughs> maybe maybe the robots will solve that as well. It's just just kind of crazy. Um, yeah. Exciting though. It's, yeah. It's, it's I, I, such an exciting time. I ran a poll on Twitter about, uh, I don't know if it was like nine months ago, but it was something to the effect of, you know, if you think that aging, or if you think science and AI, or how, how long do you think it'll take until we figure out how to beat death? Do you think it'll take a thousand years, you know, 500 years, 100 years, you know, 20 years, you know? and. Yeah. Almost everybody I polled, and it was like hundreds of people responded to the poll, but almost everybody agreed that with the way technology has been exponentially increasing, we're definitely going to have it. The problem cracked within a thousand years. I mean, almost anyone you talk to would agree that surely we'll have cured cancer within a thousand years. Surely we will have technological advances that will have helped us 
beat all these different things. So it's like, at that point, it's just a question of, well, how do we make it happen sooner? Mm. And are you okay with missing the boat? Yeah. Is there not though? So I, like, I get that the, I think it's entirely reasonable to expect that will, that AI will cure cancer within, I don't know, my guess would be 50 years, cancer won't be a thing anymore. You know, if medical science continues at the pace, I think it's going to, but like, I think it might even have been Elon Musk who made this example, but someone on Twitter anyway, X, uh, said that, you know, like humans are only, that they'll only live for us, you know, around about a hundred years, regardless. Like if you solved every, you know, dog disease, you couldn't make it live longer than 30 years because that's just the lifespan of a dog, right? Like if you, if you solved every fruit fly disease, it's still going to die within a day because that's just how long they live for. Do we not have a lifespan that's kind of not immutable, but, but like beyond which life just, this, this just becomes kind of, I don't know, death yeah. will find you, you know? Like it's, yeah. So I guess, um, and obviously keep in mind, I'm not a medical expert, so this, I'm just a lay person talking about this and I'm sure I'll make all yeah. sorts of mistakes, but sure. I, I, I guess you've got, you're running this community though. I, I, I'm interested in your, your thoughts. Um, I'm not going to hold you to it. Or yeah. Something. I'm just saying that for the sake of your podcast listeners. Sure. Um, I, my understanding is that a lot of these diseases are actually caused by aging, uh, in the sense that when your body starts to break down and it starts to, or yeah, it, it, it starts to no longer be able to properly repair and maintain itself. That's when it becomes susceptible to a lot of the diseases. That's when they start to creep in and start to multiply. The body actually has the ability to repair itself. And there is all sorts of research being done on, you know, what, what happens when your senescent, when your cells become senescent, you know, and they, they cease to function. Um, well, as they die off, they release chemicals and things like that that end up harming nearby cells. Um, yeah, you know, and, and there's research that's been done where by targeting senescent cells that were just like building up in your body by removing them, basically having the body remove the senescent cells themselves. Um, that, and I guess a senescent cell means a cell that has lost its ability to divide and okay. replicate. Okay. So when these cells get certain to that age and they stop uh, being able to replicate, they just kind of sit there and then eventually they degrade and die and they harm nearby cells. This is just my understanding. I could be wrong on this. Um, but by cleaning, by enabling the body to clean up these senescent cells, they were able to massively extend the lifespan of mice. Um, I can't remember exactly what the number was. I could go look it up, but it was it was a significant increase, maybe like 20% or something. And so then that makes you kind of question, well, wait a minute, is our lifespan actually hard-coded? Well, if everything is perfect and you had perfect immune system, all this, 
what is it that's preventing the human body from living longer? You know, is it the, the telomeres at the end of uh, things, you know? What is it? Is it some sort of genetic marker that has to be flipped? Is it something like we have, there's jellyfish that can live immortally. There's lobsters that can live essentially indefinitely. There's, there, there are a number of life forms that do exist that are functionally immortal. So we know it is technically possible. And really, I mean, the answer is we don't know what it would take, but there's, there's also the idea of like a ship of Theseus approach where you could systematically replace the parts of the body that were um, dying off. Like what, what happens if you were to replace your, your heart, your lungs, your whatever, you know, what, what happens if you're able to partially replace, you know, neurons in your brain somehow? Yeah. Um, that's the big one isn't it the brain is the like you, you, you can kind of imagine you know like if you're talking philosophy like you can kind of imagine you being the same person with new a new heart new lungs new kidneys but like your brain that's i feel like that's the essence of you right like that would be the one where if, if you replace my brain or uploaded my brain like a like a a simulation then that is no longer me that's how i would feel like what what do you think um well one of one of my popular one of my most popular tweets in the past couple months was something where i said some effect of a digital twin is not immortality you know right okay making it it has to be you have yeah. to have some of the. I, I want, I want, an uninterrupted thread of consciousness. I don't want to die and then be resurrected. I don't want to die and be cloned. I don't want to be. I don't want a digital twin that lives on for millennia while I die. Like that doesn't do me any good. No. You know and. Yeah. Um, yeah, so someone else I, gets to steal your thunder, don't they? <laughs> Some other digital. I guess it would be Thomas Chapin the fifth. <laughs> I do actually have a, <laughs> I have a son by that name. Ah, oh, the sixth then. Or, or the, <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know what what that would be in that case, but oh oh one, oh oh version two v two. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, so a clone, a clone is, in my opinion, it's it's kind of like a twin. You know, twin is not you. You know, mm-hmm. um, like so. But I agree that is one of the number one issues, the the crux of it all. Like what, and it's also one of the big things I think that's holding back longevity. It's all these people that are getting older. And as they get older, their mental facilities decline. Um, they start to adopt more, um, well, not all, but but there's a common theme of, you know, like mental patterns changing and worldviews changing and become, people becoming more focused on conserving resources and become less, you know, risk takers and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, and so like your your mind changes a lot of people's minds change as they get older and people are afraid of 
a future where you have these immortal people that are just holding back the rest of humanity and just like feeding off of it and, and kind of like they're imagining a lot of the dementia addled people you know, yeah, it sounds. It sounds I hate to say it, but it, it sounds a bit. I hate to say it, but it sounds, it sounds a bit like the USA now. <laughs> There's yeah, and it's concerning because you you see these people in politics just kind of holding us back, and there's people that are like, well, you know, science progresses one death at a time or something. They they it's all you, they have to die before you can progress. You know, and I would love a future. I would love to see a future where that's not the case. One where we can solve Alzheimer's, where we can solve dementia, where we can repair damage caused by strokes and, um, and trauma to the brain, brain damage. If there's a way for us to repair brain damage and rejuvenate it, do things like removing lead poisoning, heavy metals, um, and repairing the damage caused by them, restoring neuroplasticity, things like that. Yeah. Basically, I think if you, if we were able to take an old brain and gradually restore it in a trans trans transitionary way, not like an instantaneous kind of way, hmm. if we were able to restore youthfulness and mental clarity to an old person's brain. I think a lot of the fear of immortality would go away. And yeah. I'm not even really saying immortality. I mean, more, I say immortality is a loaded concept. You know, I, I'm just saying longevity, you know? Yeah. I guess it's the idea of, of death being a choice, right? Yeah. Like it's not that, because they're obviously this, there's going to be the heat death of the universe eventually. And, you know, maybe like that. <laughs> that's the next one to solve. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. But, um, but I guess the, it's, it's, it's the idea of being able to choose when you die and being able to live for significantly longer spells of time than the, the human lifespan that we've come to understand over the course of our evolution to date. Right. Right. And like my great grandmother lived to almost 104 and the last 20 years of her life were just absolute misery. You know, every, every time I saw her, she was like, you know, I can't wait to die. You know, she just couldn't God. wait to die, but God wouldn't, God wouldn't take her, you know? And she was too healthy. <laughs> she, I mean, ironically, she, she was in misery from pain, she had fallen, broken bones, she had osteoporosis, all these other things, but mentally she was like, she exercised her whole life and ate healthier her whole life. But so she was in this weird cursed place where, mm. where she was in pain and couldn't die. And she, she lived way longer than she wanted to. And that's why the concept of health span is so important because mm. if you have longevity without health, then you're just going to be prolong, prolong, prolonging your own misery and suffering. Yeah. I mean, that's hell, isn't it? That's hell. Right. Like, lo longevity, uh, 
the, the more you ramp longevity up and health down, it's just, it's just, it's just, yeah, making yeah. life. So yeah. the only thing I'm really interested in is longevity paired with health. Like I want yeah. to be able to, I want to live in my prime in a healthy way for as long as I want, basically. I don't know how long that would be, but I want to live as long as I want. <laughs> now, will I, will that be solved before I die? I don't know. Probably not. But if I can at least help move the needle, maybe that's a meaningful life work. Um, yeah. Yeah. Are you aware of, um, Brian Johnson, the, yeah. the, the entrepreneur is, is he in your, um, yeah, some of my most popular you... tweets have been tweets where I interacted with with Brian Johnson. Right. Uh, okay. Yeah, like twenty five thousand, you know, views and whatnot. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I love I love what Brian Johnson's doing, and you know, he's he's very he's very controversial. You know, he gets a lot of attention for um, controversial things he says but if you actually go watch his video interviews he's really a calm thoughtful yeah yeah i've watched interviews yeah he's he's, he's good he's he seems very clear-headed about the whole thing he seems like he's just thinking in his in his mind and you know who am i to judge i think he just believes he's thinking much further ahead than anybody else right he's trying to push the needle on what's going to be important in 50 years time rather than push the needle on what's going to be important in six months time, which is, you know, what most of the rest of us are doing, I guess. Yeah. I mean, he's doing, he's modeling the behavior of somebody who, who wants to attain longevity, escape velocity, you know, and is doing everything in their power to, to do that. Have you heard that of that term longevity, escape velocity? Uh, n no, but I, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, I, yeah, I just I, I thought it, you were just using it as a as a turn of phrase. Is it? No, it's uh, not it my thing? idea. It's uh, you know, there's people. I want to say it's Aubrey de Grey, who came up with it, but it may have been someone else. There's a number of other people, okay. George Church and whatnot. But um, the idea is, as technology increases, our knowledge of things that extend our lifespan increase. So, if you can live long enough then there's this intersection point where you will theoretically be able to live indefinitely if you can just reach that point. Got to cl know, yeah, cling on, cling on until you get to the, until you get to the event horizon. Right. Yeah. So, right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, look, I mean, he's, I, I look, I, so some people say he looks te I, cause I feel like he gets judged a lot on the way he looks because it's really, the only data point that most people have to go on um, and some people say he looks awful and then other people say oh wow he actually looks really young um, and I just kind of feel like he looks unusual which kind of makes me think that something is definitely happening you know yeah like well so um, he's doing things to modify his appearance and I don't necessarily know if those appearance related things are improving his chances of longevity or if they're just making him look younger, right. you know, he's doing all these skin treatments and things with lasers and all that. And it makes his skin right. look more young. But from what I understand, some of the treatments he's doing 
are actually causing the cells in his skin to like flip and become like flip to their youthful state right and you know so I, I can't really speak to all that but he definitely he's doing a bunch of experimental things which might hurt him in the long run but ultimately he's experimenting on himself and he's not risking or harming anyone else in the process so yeah 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 um, I'm I'm a big fan of what he's doing. I, I wish I had the the money and resources to do the exact same thing that he's doing, but you know, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think even if I did, I think I'd struggle. It seems very um, regimented, right? Like he needs to go to bed at like 8 p.m. every day, and like you know, he only eats between like I, I can't remember exactly but he only eats first thing in the morning right and then doesn't eat for the rest of the day and you know i i think i even if i had you know millions and millions to 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 do it i think i'd struggle because i'd want to go out every now and then and have a beer you know yeah, <laughs> like, no i well the interesting thing is um senescent cells right one of the things that can cause your body to remove senescent cells is fasting because your body essentially auto cannibalizes itself and right, it, the first right. thing it cannibalizes is those senescent cells so by doing intermittent fasting by doing a calorie restricted diet you can get a lot of that uh, a lot of those benefits but you can extend your lifespan by by helping your body get rid of those cells. If, if you just sit around and you're fat and you, you know, a bunch of senescent cells are going to be all there and your body, when, when, when your body's trying to look for energy, trying to clean up stuff, it's maybe going to target the fat and leave the senescent cells there. So you have all this inflammation and stuff and um, damage and mm -hmm. cancers and things that happen. So one of the biggest things you can do for um, that anybody can do to help improve longevity is weight loss. And I used to weigh 250 pounds, actually. I, if I showed you a picture of myself, I'm down now down to 168. So wow. Over Amazing. the course. Yeah, over the course. Congratulations. Of, oh, thanks. Over the course of about four years, I've just like my chart's just been slowly going down. And, you know, I, I did a lot of that via keto and and uh intermittent fasting and calorie calorie okay. restriction but yeah there's this one thing that brian does that it kind of it was like a light bulb moment and it's the fact that when you're hungry food tastes really good when you're like hungry and so a lot of people if they just go from meal to meal and snack to snack they they aren't really appreciating the food they're eating they and so they they try to amp up the signal by eating more sugar, more uh, more unhealthy foods. Well, if you fast and you go and then you put like some sort of vegetable in front of yourself with some olive oil and some, a little bit of salt or something, and it's just like, oh, this thing is so tasty. You know, it's because you're hungry. And so he has systematically leveraged that in his whole diet so that he loves every bite he's eating even though it's just like a bowl of lentils or something and um there's there's kind of something there's something there that i think uh 
I think is worth noting and exploring. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, and I, I have experimented with intermittent fasting in the past. I mean, I, I haven't, I've, I've not really ever struggled with, with my weight particularly, but even, even so, I have felt really good. Like I do get it. Like you do, it is, it is, um, it is a good thing to do for sure. And I have heard, you know, about the, the positive effects on, on longevity. Um, so aside from Brian, what are the technologies that are going to push us in the right direction on this? How do you think AI is going to help? What kind of technology are people working on that's really going to push the needle? So, um, Obviously, there's the big institutional stuff, stuff like Google, DeepMind, AlphaFold, and those are really high impact uh, due to the amount of money and everything being put into, into them. We should just briefly explain AlphaFold is, is the protein folding um, system that, that Google's DeepMind has built. Yeah, so which... Google supposedly advanced humankind's knowledge of proteins by something like a billion years worth of researcher man hours. If you were to take a researcher, put him in a lab and have him research this, it would take a, it would take a single researcher a billion years to accomplish what they've managed to do with AlphaFold. And that's kind of the, those are one of the big things that, uh, that's an example of something that has really made me think something might be possible you know we might actually be able to do this and and we might actually be able to cure disease we might actually be able to do all that uh, solve aging and it's not just alpha fold though there's recursion is working on uh, similar stuff with um, proteins and there's a number of other companies as well i don't have them all listed but i have a huge map of um, of companies that are all in the AI space working at health and it's just, you know, like, like hundreds of companies. But some of the other uh, big things that are, that I'm excited at about is something that Siren Biotechnology is uh, doing. They're doing universal AAV immunogene therapy for cancer. Um, and they're, they're solving certain types of blindness they're solving um well i mean basically by by doing by leveraging viruses and using by by what's right they're they're building tools like almost like little machines that have logical capabilities if then or else type God. stuff Wow. And so what, microscopic. Wow. Essentially, yeah. And they're able to uh, do just amazing things. And this so is they're like, little, little tiny robots with logic that you can and inject it, into. And, it's, and they can do targeted type stuff. I mean, there's, Jesus. there's a whole lot of really interesting stuff coming. And a lot of it is being made possible via these technological improvements in AI and whatnot, because if we are able to build a model, a complete model of the human body and how it works at the 
microscopic scale, nanoscale, whatever. And then we're able to use AI to generate machines to perform certain types of work to tackle diseases um, and cure them. I mean, all bets are off, you know? Um, yeah. So there's this other aspect to it, which is the consumer grade AI, you know? Uh, there's AI doctor tools. There are, I like Dr. Gupta AI, and that's a play on GPT, but it's G-U-P-T-A dot. <laughs> and it's, you know, they're, they're like his assistants, you know. Uh, <laughs> Brilliant, sorry, yeah, it's just, I, I like, I enjoy wordplay. Um, yeah. But yeah, Dr. Gupta, <laughs> Gupta. <laughs> Anyway, sorry, um, you, you, you were saying. Um, so, doc, uh, doctor assistants. Um, yeah, so there's a, there's a um, like, I think the, a lot of these tools are becoming more and more commonplace. Like my wife checks moles with uh, with a, a an app that is reference it. You know, it's it's like it's got um, you know image pattern recognition for you know worrying moles and uh which is you know it's it's apparently got a very high degree of um accuracy obviously it's not replacing a human doctor but it can tell you when you might want to go and see one right i suppose there's going to be something like that for every conceivable condition yeah and i mean i i think the long-term vision the the thing that would be really cool is if every single human had full diagnostic live streaming results of their own body's chemistry and health state. And I don't yeah. know if that's going to be accomplished via some sort of, you know, like little implant or if it's ever going to be done with something with some wearable devices or maybe a combination of devices. But, you know, people like Brian Johnson, they do all these, you know, he's like supposedly the most measured man in history or whatever, but imagine being able to instantly know everything from your glucose levels to your insulin levels to, you know, the fact that this organ over here is being strained a little bit, or maybe it's not producing enough of this hormone or, you know, yeah, there's a, you know, your, your something that could tell you what your brain, your current brain chemistry levels were. Um, there's a whole lot of potential there there's mobile imaging, you know, imagine being able to do uh, almost kind of like a live MRI of yourself while taking a shower or something. I mean, who knows what's coming, but the, I'm kind of going off on tangents here. The actual AI stuff that I'm interested in or been really looking into is, you know, about it. It's all about taking information that is hard to, for a doctor to memorize and making it very accessible. Uh, you could, when you have an AI chatbot that can, can pass the entire medical, you know, every medical exam and it knows every single medical book and all the knowledge that you can imagine. Well, Google has the Palm model, for example, the Palm, Palm E2, I wanna say, and only, only medical people have access to that. Like, I don't even, I don't have access to it yet, but, um, 
combine that with something like a knowledge graph, uh, chatbot, and um, live diagnostics, and every single person would essentially have like a doctor at their fingertips. Now combine that with something like home a home robot. Think Bicentennial Man. Imagine if you had your own personal robot that could help you as a doctor, could maybe even perform minor surgeries. Who knows, right? Like maybe that's a little too sci-fi, but. Um, I mean, I feel like every, every, every week, whenever I do a podcast or a video, I feel like I'm forever saying, uh, if this might be, this might sound a bit sci-fi, but it's nearly here, you know? And then inevitably it's like, it's, it turns up <laughs> like, like a couple of months later, you know? So yeah, I think, you know, we are, we are living in sci-fi. Uh, the, the whole world around us is sci-fi, you know? Like if we've, we're in the, we're in the Jetsons, man, you know, like literally every, it's, the computers are talking to us. You know, it, the, like the Turing test is in the rearview mirror by this stage. I think, you know, sci-fi is now, as far as I'm concerned. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. So, what is well. some? What are some of the most interesting things that you have heard about recently in this field? Since you're interviewing a number of people, and you're also. Well, Stuff. I mean, so I, I speak to so I speak to people about lots of different things, but in the health side, that was why I was keen to speak to you because I, you know, I found it, you know, came across you on on Twitter and um, and I hadn't considered the applications of the most recent kind of wave of of AI tools in um, in health and longevity. Um, obviously, I'd heard of, of, of Brian Johnson and and I had been aware that there was this sort of movement growing i mean so there are like I've, I've i've read a bit about brain computer interfaces um you know Neuralink and like brain gate is another one which is, is super interesting like they put electrodes up through the actual um blood vessels in your brain and then they leave them there so to monitor activity um which seems interesting and that can obviously bypass a lot of um spinal problems right so any any kind of you know serious brain computer interface um will allow people you know paraplegic people to have limbs again um and like the brain gate footage is incredible like this is a woman who's just um like using a robotic arm to grab a, a cup and bring it to her mouth and and drink drink from it it's, it's incredible um so that's you know it's medical science but I don't think that's necessarily going to add to their longevity. It might, you know, the, the, the BCI stuff might, you know, eventually give us those digital twins that you were saying you're kind of, you know, less interested in, but it's not particularly um, useful for extending our lifespan, um, which, as I say, I didn't really realize was possible. Um, but yeah, so I mean, so, so what, what are the so we've mentioned disease. You've mes you've mentioned like these senescent cells. Are there any other big hurdles or roadblocks that we need to get past using technology? And if we want to get to death, is a choice. Yeah. So 
I actually asked um, I asked ChatGPT this question earlier. <laughs> a little bit. I mean, the the reality is there's there's a bunch of stuff. There's um, you know there's stuff that's currently under development in terms of you know Synalytics, telomeres and telomerase, and uh, there's people that are doing rapamycin for the mTOR pathway. Um, What's, I've heard about the mTOR pathway, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, so it, it I guess, as I understand it, it regulates growth, and um, it's kind of been linked to lifespan. I, I don't really know the whole lot about it exactly. I, I know that a lot of the people who are in the lifespan kind of scene, uh, people like Brian Johnson, are taking rapamycin right. um, in, an, in an attempt to extend their lives. I haven't done that myself. Um, I, I, I haven't really done a whole lot of actual actionable stuff. Um, I, I guess my take it on it is I don't really think that we as humans are going to solve this problem on our own. And so that is why so much of my attention has been focused on AI. Mm. I I have, over the last year, I've been focusing a lot of my attention on sharing ideas with people that are on the cutting edge of AI. So I went on Twitter, I went and befriended a bunch of the people who are in San Francisco that are working on AI agents and on AI tools, and I, I you know, they'll release some new tool. I go on GitHub, I start their GitHub repo, I fork it, I tinker with it, whatever. If I have an idea that's relevant, I'll sometimes share it with them. And so I thought two of the biggest things that are holding us back are philosophical. It's, yeah, philosophy and religion and kind of like deathism, the idea that death is good. I think is a big problem, especially in America. Um, but I mean, around the whole world, everybody has everyone's coping with that idea and, and has accepted it and everything. And so they're not they're not dumping enough research into beating the problem to solving the problem. Um, mm. They're just focusing on the immediate things in front of them, like maybe cancer or something. Well, what it so. The other thing is AI. So if we have AI agents and we have AI tools that can help us solve the problems, you know, what what can I do to accelerate that in a safe way, right? We don't want the world to end because, you know, a bunch of dr a drone army has like taken over like Terminator or something. So I spent quite a bit of time researching AI safety. And I was involved with David Shapiro's community with the Gato framework, trying to come up with ideas for how can we usher in, how can we usher humanity into a post-scarcity reality in a positive way? What are we going to do about all the jobs that that AI might take away? How are we going? I mean, like, what good does long, what good does solving longevity help you? If only the rich people have access to it, what good does it do if you solve 
death or aging, but then you get killed by a mob of people who are angry about wealth inequality, you know? Mm. So like, it's a big, there's a big complex, it's a big complex, complex problem with a lot of facets. And um, so some of the other things that I've tackled are, you know, like how, how are we going to, how are we going to solve that? You know, do we need a universal basic income? Do we need some type of universal dividend paid for by AI automation? You know, Mm. Uh, because Do do you not worry that the UBI thing, that there would still be a dearth of purpose that people might get money, but they might still feel unfulfilled. So, um, fortunately I don't have to guess on this because there have been a number of studies now and experiments that have been run. And there's a a famous guy on Twitter named Scott Santins that I'd highly recommend checking out. He has been compiling just a, a ton of information about UBI and its benefits and all the experiments and all the different projects that have been run on it. And they overwhelmingly show that when people are given a universal basic income, it essentially bring, it makes them go up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And then they, instead of just focusing on the immediate problems in front of them, they're able to think big picture. They're able to do things in life that matter to them and that have meaning. And, um, and they overwhelmingly choose to do positive things and and feel happy and yeah. And it increases their happiness. It increases and it actually does increase their health as well. So I, so you're very much pro pro UBI then I'm pro UBI. I don't know exactly what implementation is the ideal implementation. I don't know. So I'm, I'm pro UBI. I'm still in the UBI conversation phase right now, but there is one project that I am actually a founding donor member of, and that's a project called Comingle. And they're currently raising money for their first phase of development. And their idea, their idea, and it's kind of like the idea that I was spreading around myself was if we can't convince the government to do taxes, to do UBI, what would happen if we just built it ourselves voluntarily built it and had voluntary participation and wow. so uh, what so people just pay money in yeah so at least and i'm not in this once again this is kind of like one of those things where uh i'm not entirely sure if their first in first attempt is going to be viable but mm. the important thing is they're trying you know sure. um and so their their concept is kind of like a church you know if you, if you go to church a lot of times they'll have tithing yeah. and then the I, people I but yeah. i have been i went when i was when i was you're a, familiar was with kid. with how tithing works in a church in a lot of churches people yeah, will actually actually know is that when they pass the bowl around and you put the bowl yeah around? yeah well it's not like that but a lot of churches they'll they expect their members to donate a percentage of their income toward right right okay okay and then the church doles it out or uses it however to further their mission right. or whatever okay well in the case of commingle 
every somebody, every, everybody who joins the project actually pledges to donate 7% of their income to it. Wow. And they actually link to your bank account and do tax audits to make sure that 7% of your income is being donated. Now, on the flip side, every week they give out an equal average payout to everybody. So if if everybody earned 100,000 a year and everybody donated 7% of it, every week they would receive their exact amount of money back. There would be nothing out, nothing back. It would just basically be even, an average right. net even. But if you have somebody who's earning a million and you have somebody earning 10,000, well, it the person that average payout is helping the person who's poor and the person who's really rich is barely even noticing. But yeah. it does but if something happens, um to the rich person and now they're bankrupt or something happens now that average payout they're getting every week is maybe helping them float along until they so get it home. sounds quite a lot like taxation and social security <laughs> like but like not the government doing it it's not the government doing it. it's just it what if we build it ourselves and had participation be voluntary so it's it's like the church without the church essentially right yeah yeah yeah. tithing without the church yeah um now and I, this is really just a big experiment right and to me i think a better universal dividend would be one where they weren't monitoring your bank account and where um the profits were somehow being were coming from ai automation somehow mm. um but i think it's a stepping stone in the in that direction you know uh, yeah, I I would love to work on. Yeah, I guess it's it's what you want to do is, is harness the productivity gains from AI, and distribute the winnings more evenly amongst the population than is likely to happen, because currently, obviously, all of the value from from AI is is going to Microsoft and and Google, right? Like yeah. basically those two. Um, I suppose the 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 idea is what you want to get to eventually is, is to somehow harness more of that value and distribute it to people who haven't got a, you know, a data science PhD from Stanford or whatever, you know? Um, yeah. Well, yeah. and it's, it's a, it's a hard problem. It's, it's a problem I've been kind of like mulling over now for a while. Um, and I still don't know the answer, but I'm, I'm very interested in it. Um, like, what if it was possible to accomplish via some sort of open source model with a software license, uh, for example, if if instead of producing a bunch of open source AI tools and models, what if you were to license them under a universal dividend license or something that dictated that if you're going to use this software, it's free to use, but any profits you make with it, you are agreeing to donate some percentage back to this big fund or this fund and then that fund or the funnel or whatever every single human has an equal share every single the only thing you have to do to get your cut is prove that you're a human that's it yeah it's getting increasingly um 
difficult now. <laughs> like, well, it's well, like a human fund or an AI dividend, or I don't know what yeah. you want to call it, but. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the problem, of course, would be that if all you had to do is prove you're a human, there'll be lots of people making bots that are quite good at proving they're human and then breaking yeah. in and all this, of the. Yeah, this leads to like the whole next uh, challenge, which is how do we tell all the humans from the bots and how do we do that in a way that doesn't like violate everybody's privacy and doesn't institute like this whole like big brother reality, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's interestingly enough, that's one of the problems that WorldCoin I think is trying to solve kind of like the idea of anonymized proofs of personhood. And yeah. And they're doing that with eye scanning, are they? Yeah. So their, their idea that they were, they were thinking with it was if we, if we scan someone's eyeball, their retina pattern, there's enough entropy and stuff in that pattern that's, that's hard to fake with with an AI model to where you can use that fingerprint as a as a, as a way of generating a, kind of like a one directional decryption scheme mm. that, that that is anonymous but still provably human mm. and also unique so, and there, it's a complex, difficult problem. I mean, there's other things that, uh, that you could do. You could, you could take a 3D scan of someone's face, for example. You could take a, um, a drop of their blood or something. You could take a drop of spit. You could do, there's, an, there's all sorts of ideas. And of course, like the better they are, the more intrusive they are. Um, mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it starts getting pretty scary pretty quickly, isn't it? But even, I mean, even so, I mean, there's still a lot of know your customer type stuff that crypto has to do. All these crypto yeah. have done a pretty good job of cutting down. I mean, KYC, that. know your customer is is a is a huge and thriving industry in its own right. Yeah, it? like there, there are loads of companies who are constantly coming up with intriguing and innovative ways of of, uh, of of identifying people i suspect that a lot of the ways that they currently do it are going to become obsolete quite soon like you know i don't know if it's the same in the us but if you sign up with the neo banks here in the uk often it asks you to film yourself saying my name is whatever and you know today's date is whatever that's all going to be quite easy to fake quite soon isn't it with uh, yeah yeah, I think they are so they are going to have to come up with something. Yeah, better than that. I, it's almost like we're we're approaching a future where you you won't be able to trust anything except in person experiences. Yeah, and then it makes you question even that, doesn't it? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a whole bunch of people that that subscribe to the worldview that uh, everything is just a dream, and you know that everyone is a bunch of NPCs except themselves and. Yeah, yeah. Well, simulation. This is all just a simulation. This is all the matrix. But, you know, the only thing anyone can really know is that they exist. You know, I think therefore I am. Um, yeah. That's the only thing you can objectively know, I guess. But, um, yeah. yeah, I could I could honestly ramble on about a bunch more of this for uh, well, probably. I, th I think we're going to have to wrap up quite soon. <laughs> but I was going to say I'll um, 
I'll have to get you back on. We'll have to do, draw up a whole other list of, uh, of of interesting subjects, and we can uh, we can we can ramble on about those because it's been really interesting talking to you. Um, and I'm certainly keen to learn more about your health span longevity uh, community that you're you're building on on X. I'll I'll be sure to uh, submit my application because um, I'm certainly keen to learn more. Um, but before we wrap up, is there anything, anything on that subject, the, you know, the health span, longevity stuff that um, you feel I haven't covered or haven't asked you that perhaps I should have done or anything interesting that I'm missing? Hmm. And you don't have to say yes. Maybe I've been the perfect interviewer and covered everything. But oh, no, this, you've, this, has been, this has been a lot of fun, this interview. Um, First of all, I will say this, the HealthSpan community that I have, it's pretty low key. It's it's an open community. Anyone can join, you can join. If you look me up on Twitter, um, x.com slash Tom Chapin, and go over to the highlights tab, there's a link there to it in my highlights and anyone can join. It's pretty small right now. There's only like around 150 people. Um, but Anytime I find something really cool and interesting related to AI and healthspan longevity stuff, I try to post it in there. And if anyone else has stuff they want to share or post in there, they're obviously welcome to as long as they keep it on topic. So, yeah, I'd love to have you in there. Awesome. All right. Well, um, I think we'll we'll uh, wrap it up there then in that case. But look, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, Tom and um, yeah I hope to speak to you again very soon thanks for joining me awesome thanks for having me